Hello, Real Life family. Pastor Tim with you again uh, this, this Sunday, and I uh, want to welcome you uh, to this message. Uh, this particular Sunday, we are having a guest speaker at church, and so I wanted to just bring a message to you as well, just as a little bonus message. Um, and also remind you that uh, this Halloween, uh, our church is hosting Light the Night, which is our alternative to Halloween. We're trying to bring light, love, uh, goodness, um, and the presence of God into our community by opening our church. And we're going to have all kinds of great activities going on. So come on out, bring your, your family, and enjoy just a good time. Um, today's message, I want to start out with kind of adding to last week's message about proclaiming the promises of God. And uh, kind of one of the life groups came up with a, a question about righteousness. And I wanted to address the meaning of the word righteous or righteousness and then go through some of the promises that God has for us. I'm reminded that the, the prayer, one of the aspects of prayer is, like I said in our last week's message, proclaiming the promises of God, taking the breath of God and the, and the Spirit of God and speaking the Word of God according to the will of God so that we can um, receive the blessings of God, right? The promises of God. And all those promises that God has made are through what Jesus did and accomplished on the cross for you and for me. But so many of these we're not accessing or we're not living in the good of because we're not proclaiming them and receiving them and, uh, and, and you know, just, yeah, just living according to those, those promises. So I want to empower you and encourage you and give you the confidence to proclaim these promises. But part of that comes with the understanding that I and you, that we're qualified for these promises. One of the biggest problems I run into when talking with people is they just don't feel qualified. They don't feel righteous enough for God to answer their prayers. Uh, they feel like maybe they should be punished or they're in a timeout in a sense because of their bad behaviors or they're not, they just haven't done enough to earn God's love or to have God's favor or for these things to actually be for them. Maybe they're for someone else who's better than they are. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but a lot of people feel that from time to time, that they're just, they haven't earned, they haven't done enough. They're not good enough. They, they don't deserve um, these promises. But I want to destroy that lie off of your life today, if that's you, by saying that you are qualified, and I want to teach you what righteous means and righteousness means so that you can uh, have the possibility to believe that God's promises are actually for you, not for someone else, not for someone who's better, not for someone who knows more of the Bible or someone who's done more religious things than you have, but because you are a child of God, because you have faith in Jesus, every one of these promises is for you. So let's talk about righteous for a minute, okay? In the Hebrew, the word for righteous is tzaddik, and the word for righteousness is tzedakah, tzedakah. And so this word has several layers of meaning, as all Hebrew words do. So I want to just kind of touch on a couple of those ideas. Number one, we can learn uh, the meaning of a word in Hebrew when we look at how it's compared to other words. Uh, in the Hebrew poetry, for instance, righteous or righteousness is often paired with another word called yashar. And that word means upright, and it also means straight. You might remember um, John the Baptist uh, saying that he has, 
his calling is to make straight the path for the Lord, uh, to straighten things out. And so yeshar means to be straight or upright uh, or to be on, that, on, a, on the right path, okay? So righteous is compared with that word. That's an antonym. It's the same idea. So righteousness needs to be, means to be upright. It means, means to be straight, not bent, not broken, you know, but straight and upright, okay? And also righteous or righteousness is compared with an opposite word too in Hebrew poetry. And its opposite in Hebrew is rasha, which is wicked or wickedness. And that means to depart. So you have righteousness compared with yashar, which means straight. And then you have wickedness, which means to depart. And so a good understanding of righteousness is to be on God's path is to be straight on God's path. And wickedness is when we leave that path, when we depart from that path. I also uh, learned this in studying this this week about this. The ancient Hebrews, we know this, were a nomadic people. And so they would travel a circuit through the wilderness, following um, from pasture to pasture, from campsite to campsite, from watering hole to watering hole. And they were in a wilderness, and so they had a circuit that they have developed that was safe and it was a path, okay? So anyone leaving this path could become lost or could uh, wander aimlessly. So if they departed from this path, they were in danger. And so this is in the context of the, of the Hebrew actual uh, livelihood and, and way of life, righteousness or righteous meant to be on the path. Wickedness meant to be off the path, departing from the path, danger. In fact, um, we see in the scriptures that the wages of righteousness actually is life. On this path, on God's path, is life. It's protection, security, wisdom, blessing, peace, joy, health, okay? So God's path is filled with life. When we depart, just like in the wilderness experience, when we depart off of the path of God, the Bible says the wages of sin or the wages of wickedness is, is death, right? It's danger, it's brokenness, it's lostness, it's, it's bentness. And so, so that's another understanding of righteous versus wickedness or righteous compared to yashar, which means straight or upright, okay? So those are a couple ideas. Now, in Jesus's day, the word righteousness also was used as an idiom for charity and almsgiving. And so when Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, uh, he said this in the NIV, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That's the NIV. Now, the New King James Version, the same verse says this, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. Uh, to be seen by them. And so Jesus is teaching us and using the common uh, vernacular of the day, the word righteousness during his day often referred to acts of giving, of charity, of alms, of helping other people. So righteousness be began to be uh, this idea of doing the right things for the people, for other people, helping, giving, um, and doing right to one another. And so we have this concept of being on, a, on the right path with God or being off that path. We also have this concept during Jesus's day of these are the right things to do. You give, you help. Uh, one of our sayings in our church, one of our core values is love. It's 
um, seeing a need and meeting it, finding a hurt and healing it. This really is a pretty close definition to righteousness. It's you're meeting the needs of people around you. It's very important to God. Righteousness and justice and mercy. Boy, those are, those are really big things to God, right? And so Jesus um, was, was uh, advocating for that lifestyle as well. So now I want to get back to our memory verse from last week. 1 Peter 3.12 comes from Psalm chapter 34, and it's requoted in Peter. And it says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. And so, like I said, one, one question came up in one of our life groups. Well, righteous, that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and God listens to their prayer, the basic question that I think a lot of us would ask is, well, do I qualify? <laughs> you know, am I righteous? God, do, do you listen to me? Do you see me? Are you noticing me or am I not good enough? You know, I mean, I'm just being honest with you. That's the, the question, right? Do I qualify for this promise? Um, and the, the answer is yes, but I want to share with you why you qualify, okay? And, and under these understandings. So here's a verse out of Romans chapter 5, verse 17. It says, For if by the trespass of the one man, and we're talking about Adam here, Adam sinned, and he represented all of mankind. If through the trespass or the sin of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, the result of Adam's sin was death reigning in our world, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, and listen to this, and the gift of righteousness, so righteousness is a gift. How much more were those who received this gift of righteousness, of course it's through Jesus, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Okay, So we have a comparison of Adam and his sin, and Jesus and his righteousness. And we were born under Adam, and under Adam's sin, we were born under the curse of death. But the scriptures teach us that through what Jesus did by laying his life down for you and for me, we can trust in him and receive his righteousness. And how much more will the righteousness of Jesus overcome the death of Adam? How much more will we reign in life through this gift of righteousness? So, the New Covenant, the New Testament teaches that righteousness is not something that is earned, it is a gift. And the gift comes from Jesus, as we mentioned last week. So your righteousness, I know it's counterintuitive, but it doesn't have anything to do with what you are doing. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done. Now, does it matter what you do? Yeah, of course it does. And is Christ forming in us his will to be done in us and through us? Yeah, absolutely. So I am becoming more like Jesus all the time. So in one sense, in a practical sense, the way I treat people, the way I think about people, the needs that I recognize and start to meet around me, in a real practical sense, I am becoming more righteous. I am doing more of the good things, the right things, but I'm not doing it to earn salvation but I'm doing it because Jesus has saved me and he's changing me into his image. That's a really different way of looking at things than most people have experienced growing up if they've been under a religious teaching. Because most of our religious background says you better do this and you better not do that. 
Now, righteousness is more than not doing the wrong things. It's also, and more, I would say even more so, focused on doing the right things. And so we've all grown up with that. We all have rules in our home. We all had moms and dads and other people telling us, you better do that, you better not do that, here's how you do this. And when you don't do it right, you get in trouble, or you get punished, or you get grounded, or you get a timeout. Uh, and when you do good, sometimes, hopefully, you get applauded, you get encouraged, you get rewarded, right? We do that in school. We do, we do that all throughout life. But as far as salvation goes, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. Because according to the scriptures, no one can be righteous enough in and of themselves to be perfect and to deserve eternal life. No one. The Bible says we've all fallen short. We've all tried, we've all done our best, and we all have sinned. And the results of sin or the wages of sin or departing the path of God is death. And the only one who could save us is one who doesn't already owe that debt of death, and that is Jesus Christ, okay? So our righteousness is a gift from God. Specifically, it's a gift through believing in Christ as Lord and Savior and trusting Him with your life. Hebrews 10 I, like, I love this uh, passage, uh, verses 12 to 14, uh, really does a great job of explaining this. It says, but when this priest, it's talking about Jesus, who is our high priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, and that sacrifice was himself. He sat down at the right hand of God, which means he's done. He finished the job. And he's, he's being seated in the position of ultimate authority at the right hand. He's God's right hand man, right? God's son sitting in the seat of authority and power. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. In other words, he's done, but now we are carrying on the work that he began. We are the ones that are administering the, the kingdom of God on the earth through him, through his spirit in us. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit on the earth. We are now the, the ones who are um, continuing the work of Jesus and subduing all things under Christ's lordship. And then verse 14 says, For by one sacrifice Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So on the one hand, we are perfect forever. Our sins are forgiven uh, we are set free from that permanently. Our sins have been taken away. They've been forgotten. They've been scrubbed clean. They've been buried. Uh, they've been removed as far as the east is from the west. I mean, it's, they're gone. They're gone in the eyes of God. It is dealt with. It's filed away legally. It's over. The case is closed. We are now righteous, okay? But it goes on to say that we've been made perfect forever, but we are also being made holy. To be made holy is to be set apart. And so there's this, this concept of growth in the Christian life. Like we are forgiven, but we're not perfect yet in terms of our behaviors, right? We still, we're not 100% free from sinning. We're 100% forgiven of our sin, but we still have hiccups and pains and struggles and we still make mistakes. We still depart from the path from time to time. We still sin. And yet God's not holding that against us, but he is, our path is projected forward. We're, we're, we're growing. Uh, we're being made holy. We're being more set apart from sin and set apart to God. And we are being formed into the image of Christ. And so as a Christian, our worldview is that we are constantly seeking more of God and growing closer to Him and becoming more like Him. We are seeking to be more free from 
uh, sin and its bondages and its thinking and its effects upon us. And we are, we're being transformed consistently and constantly into the image of Christ. And so this is what Jesus said um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. He said, uh, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. So the new covenant says, once you have placed your faith in Jesus, there is nothing more you can do to be any more righteous because you have received complete righteousness through Jesus. Now, God wants to continue to form in you his character, his will, his thoughts, right? And that's going to change us and transform us. But you are righteous. So you qualify for all the promises of God. So there's this one meaning about perfectly fulfilling the law of God. And if you would, you would ask uh, any person, are you perfect? Have you perfectly fulfilled the law of God? The answer would be no, of course not, if we're honest, right? But if we change the question around a little bit and say, but are your sins forgiven? We would say, by faith in Jesus, yes. And that's what makes us righteous because we haven't perfectly fulfilled the law, but Jesus has. By faith, we receive his righteousness and so now we are made righteous through him. Okay, um, another meaning of that is living on the path of God. And as I mentioned, um, we are getting better and better at staying on that path, right? Uh, hopefully you are. And one of my favorite verses is Proverbs 4.18, where it says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun as it just crests over the horizon. It says it gets brighter and brighter till the full day. The path or the righteousness that we are living it's going to get better and better. We are growing and growing. We are becoming and becoming more like Jesus until he returns. The, our, our path of growth will continue. We will never finish growing and becoming more like him until the, the sun reaches high noon, until Jesus returns. And so that's, that's our process of being made holy, as the scriptures say. And so... Here's a couple of final thoughts. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. I'm trying to review and encapsulate all of this uh, before we look at a couple of the promises, okay? So it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Very clearly, again, the scriptures are saying, this doesn't come from within you. Doesn't come from your performance. Doesn't come from your works. It comes from faith in Jesus Christ, who has graciously given you the gift of salvation, the gift of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Christ himself has become our righteousness, our holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Your boast is in Jesus, not in what you've done, but in what he has done. And that's who our eyes are on. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We exchanged our sin for Jesus' righteousness. 
when we accept and place our faith in him as Lord and Savior. So you are righteous. You are righteous, not because of what you have done, but because of your faith in Jesus and what he has done. Therefore, you qualify for all the promises of God. Amen? All right, I hope I've settled that issue in your heart because God is for you. All the promises of God are for you. And uh, our memory verse this last week was 2 Corinthians 1.20. For no matter how many promises God has made, right? The Bible says they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That means every promise is already yours in Jesus but you need to read it, meditate on it, receive it, get it into your heart until you can say, amen, I agree. Yes, that promise is for me. I receive that promise. And we begin to proclaim those promises over our lives to activate uh, the reality of heaven's will being done in our lives here on the earth. And so the promises of God are supposed to be spoken. The word of God is supposed to be spoken by you with faith, believing that these promises are yours in Christ Jesus. Say amen to them. Say, I agree. Say, yes, I receive. Yes, God, this is who you are. This is what you've done for me. This is who I am in Christ. Thank you. Thank you. And declare those promises over your life and your family. Now, this coming uh, week's verse is Philippians 2.13. And it reminds us that this is all of God. It's not of ourselves. And it says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Isn't that awesome? It's God who's working in us to change our will, to, to help us to behave, to help us act it out uh, in order to fulfill his purpose in our life. So God is with you and God is working in you and through you to accomplish these things. I like in Hebrews uh, chapter 13, there's a blessing I often will give. And at the end of that blessing, it says, may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, who belongs glory forever and ever. May he work in us what is pleasing to him. I just love that, that even our practical righteousness of living, God is working that out in us as we seek him, as we follow him, as we put his word into practice. He's changing us. He's transforming us. So just for a few minutes, I want to go through some of the promises I gave you last week, the 10, just 10 great promises to proclaim. Um, and my challenge for you is to start reading the word, start grabbing hold of the promises of God, proclaiming them over your life, treasuring them in your heart, and activating them uh, in, into your reality. Here's just a couple that I've listed in, in your notes. Number one I have here is a promise for healing. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. I will often use this promise in praying for healing over sickness and disease for others and for myself and my family. I will say things like, I thank you, God, that by your stripes, I am healed. I love this phrase. It says the punishment that brought us peace was on him. Peace, shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, prosperity, wholeness, and health. What brought us health 
and prosperity and wholeness of soul, spirit, and body was that Jesus took our punishment upon himself. That's a promise of God. So I thank you, Lord. I'm just giving you an example. I thank you, Lord, that I don't have to pay that price anymore. I don't have to pay uh, uh, and suffer under the price of sickness or disease or depression or addiction or brokenness because my punishment for my sin and my guilt and my shame was paid for by Jesus and by his stripes, by the wounds on his back, I am healed. I'm healed physically, I'm healed emotionally, I'm healed spiritually. It's a great promise of God that you can begin to pray through and proclaim over your life. Prosperity, number two, Psalm 512. I pray uh, according to this verse, every, I think every day of my life I'm praying this prayer. It says, for surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You see that again? Oh, am I qualified? Am I righteous? And you would say, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. That's me. The Bible is talking about me. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. So I pray this every day over myself and my family. I always say, Lord, I thank you that your favor surrounds me like a shield that your favor surrounds my family, my children, like a shield. Thank you for your guardian angels that protect us and watch over us today. I pray that every day, every day. I have no idea um, all of the accidents and problems and situations that have been avoided because there's a shield of favor and protection around me and my family because I proclaim it every day. Start proclaiming that promise over your life. Children, number three, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train a child in the way he should go, or she, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. I know a lot of us parents, we hold on to this promise. We're doing the best we can, right? We're not perfect parents. We make mistakes. Uh, so, you know, I have regrets with some of the things I've done in parenting. Of course, there's, there's no question about it. But in the, at the same time, you know, there is a faith within us that says, God, I'm doing the best I can, and I'm trying to train my kids up to know you and to, and to, and to be saved and to, and to be blessed. And we're trusting in God. God, I thank you that, um, that through this, you are still going to bring them to you. You're going to bring them to you. So pray that prayer over your children. God, uh, I'm doing the best to train my child in the way he should go. And when he is old, I believe he will follow you. He will not depart from that way. Okay, a fourth one I, I listed here is wisdom. James 1.5. Man, I use this all the time. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, anybody lack wisdom? <laughs> all the time, right? Talking to every parent out there right now. He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. I love this promise. God, I need wisdom. God, you said you would give me wisdom if I ask. God, I'm asking. I'm asking. I need help. I need to know what to do in this situation. Ask him and remind him of this promise. You're really reminding yourself. God, I'm, I am I'm excited to be able to receive your wisdom right now for this situation I'm dealing with. It's a promise of God that God would give you wisdom. Awesome. A fifth one I have here is about provision. 2 Peter 1.3 says his divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I pray this all the time. God, I thank you that I have everything that I need for life and for godliness. You have provided everything I need uh, like, like David would say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. God, I thank you 
that you have given me everything I need for life and for godliness. I am calling that provision in. Lord, I'm calling those provisions in for my family. The sixth one I put down there is about righteousness. I already did this one in our, in our notes, Romans 5, 17. So I'll go to the next one. The next one is number seven is rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. I love this. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I, I use this often because there's many times where I feel heavy burdened. I feel pressure. I feel uh, not like I don't have enough for the situations that I'm involved with. And I just come to Jesus. I say, Jesus, I think you said that I could come to you if I'm tired, if I'm weary, if I'm feeling heavy burdened, and you'd give me rest. You'd give me rest for my soul. So I just, I just receive your rest right now. I receive your comfort. I receive your peace. All right, the eighth one I put down there is about prayer. Again, the word righteous is in here, James 5.16. The prayer of a, of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Don't think that this promise is only for pastors or elders or some special pious people. This is for righteous, a righteous person, but a righteous person is someone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So that's you. So the Bible says the prayer of a righteous one or person, man, woman, whoever, young person, is powerful and effective. Your prayers are powerful and effective. That's a promise of God. Your prayers matter. They, they make a difference. They're effective. They're powerful. They change things. And so God wants you to use that gift and that opportunity, the breath. The words, His will, His Spirit activating through you to be powerful and effective with your life. Amen? Uh, number nine, I put down here, never alone. It's just because I think a lot of us have felt this way in our life at times. Deuteronomy 31.6, God says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that a great promise? God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'll never give up on you. I'm always there for you. I'm always here with you right now. No matter what you're going through, not even what you are feeling, even if you don't feel God, God is with you. He is near to you. And, and you can rely on Him. And you can know that He's next to you. He's with you. He's in you. He's around you. And you can access Him at any time. And then the last one I put down here, number 10, is eternal life. John 5, 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Isn't that a great promise? And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that's a promise you can bank on right there. Jesus says, when you believe in me, you believe the message, you believe, and you put your trust in me, you are crossing over from death to life. You have eternal life in me and through me. And you're like, man, I don't know if I've ever done that. Hey, right now is a great opportunity for you to do that, to place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you will come alive in, in God. And you will be given the gift of eternal life. You'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll be made righteous. And all the promises of God are now accessible to you. And you'll be transformed into the image of Jesus himself, right? Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Let's pray. 
Jesus, thank you for this promise. Thank you that you came to make us righteous. You took our sin and you paid for it with your life, with your blood. You also took our sickness, our diseases, our sorrows, our griefs, our hurts, our bondage, our rejection, our poverty. You took all of that and exchanged it all with us so we could have your abundant life, your eternal life by faith in you. Today, for everyone who is watching Jesus, I thank you, Lord, as they place their faith in you right now, believing this message, trusting in you as Lord and Savior, that right now they are experiencing your salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us, for making us like you. May now you equip us, Lord, with the, the energy, as we, we mentioned, that you would work in us to will and to act in order to fulfill your purpose in our lives, that you would do that and give us a hunger for your word. You'd fill us with your spirit and you'd help us to begin to proclaim these promises over our lives so we can see heaven's will accomplished right here on earth, right here in our lives and in our families. And we thank you for all of these wonderful gifts and all these promises in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. God bless you.